Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello, welcome back to another Great Deception podcast. I'm Don Britton and I want to talk with you today about doctrine. You see, there's the doctrine of God and there's the doctrine of Satan. Of course, God is behind true doctrine and Satan is behind false doctrine. Today, I'm going to try to explain to you the best I can on how you can tell the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. So let us consider the nature. You see, there's always a nature in doctrine. What does a doctrine do? Where does it take you to? Where does it point you to? So let's consider the nature of true doctrine and false doctrine. Now, Satan, of course, is behind all false doctrine, and God, of course, is behind all true doctrine. God has called us all to repentance. He's called us to repentance of sin, turning from sin, to live righteously before him. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to uh, to forsake the world and the things of the world, and the ways of the world, and the philosophies of the world, and the sins of the world. He's called us to obedience to him. He's called us to loving him with a whole heart. He's called us to have faith in him and faith in his word. And he's called us to uh, love him with all of our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves taking up our own cross and following him, denying ourselves of sin and of, of worldly desires and so forth. And he's called us to fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. He's said to fear him. And of course, he's called us to endure to the end. And many such things like that, you could go on and on of the things that God has called us to do. So God's doctrine, the doctrine of God is always pointing us to things like that and to things in that direction, in that in those kind of categories. And God has said over and over, all through the scriptures, through the whole Bible, he said, if you do these things, in other words, if you have this kind of heart, if, you do, if your heart's like this and you follow me in this way, if you do these things, he says, you will have eternal life. You'll live forever. So he's also said on the other side of that, he says, if you don't do these things, if you don't obey me, if you don't love me, if you don't do what I say, then you'll be destroyed forever. So there's the two sides, the double-edged sword of God. There's the, there's, there's the salvation side and the wrath side. So Satan, on the other hand, he has only one goal. His goal is to stop any of us from entering into eternal life. He, he wants to stop us. So what he does, this is Satan's, Satan is a liar and a schemer, a deceiver. What he does is he confuses reality. Satan has men saying things uh, that God has never said and doing things that God has never said to do. And he, he does that to keep men confused and busy with religion, busy with their, with their church and all the stuff that goes along with that and with, with man-made religion. And he does it so he can lead them to destruction. Men have always been confused this way. This is why they killed Jesus. This is why they routinely stoned all the prophets of God who came with the warnings of God. It, this is why they did this is because all throughout the ages, men have been confused about uh, the reality. They have they've thought one thing when it was really another way. 
So the people were so confused in the past and still are today about their religion and their traditions that they didn't even recognize the truth when it came. They don't recognize today the truth when it comes. And when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize, they didn't even recognize him as the son of God, as the savior, as the Messiah. And they didn't even recognize what he was saying as truth. So many didn't. Only a few did, of course. As it is today, there's only a few. And they were even filled with anger and rage. And it's been the same way with the prophets of God, the messengers of God. They're, the people, the, for the most part, the masses of the people and the religious leaders have always been filled with anger and, and be, have been offended by the truth that came to them. It's exactly the same way today. So all the doctrines of Satan are designed to do one thing. That is to confuse reality, to deceive people, to give people a false sense of security. You know, a false, give them a, a kind of a false salvation, a false hope, a false peace, a false belief system, a set of myths that they can somehow trust in. It's almost like being superstitious. Uh, they, they, to give them a tickled ear, Satan is only wanting to tickle their ears, make them feel like that they're okay when they're really not and give them any kind of excuse for sin. You know, say, well, we're just poor old sinners saved by grace. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing we have to do. It's all been done for us. We don't have to really obey God. We don't really have to seek God, just accept God. All these things that he says that to give you a false peace and a false hope. Therefore, when you fall into this category of having this false peace and hope that Satan is attempting to get everybody to fall into, you'll have no fear of God because, you know, why fear God? Because your salvation is secure, your ticket's punched to heaven, so to speak. Why fear God? And even if you do something that's wrong or if you start, you know, practicing sin or you live a carnal worldly lifestyle, what does it matter since you're going to heaven anyway? You know, so why fear God? That's, that's kind of where we are in this generation. And you have no need to really do his will, as he says, because after all, uh, you know, no one's perfect and, it, and you don't have to get that serious about it. You see, that's what Satan is really working on to get us to keep from doing the will of God. And of course, there's no need now to know God and know his word like we should to study the scriptures, to show ourselves approved, you know, that kind of thing. There's no need to doing that because after all, we're going to heaven anyway, so Let's just go play golf or go fishing or enjoy our video games or watch a lot of TV or go to the movies and let's just, let's just do, let's enjoy our entertainment. And, you know, after all, the, the football season is coming or the baseball season is here or there's hockey season and basketball. We got to keep up with all the sports. We really don't have time to seek God or study the word. Besides, we don't really need to. I accepted Christ, as they say. Some say, oh, I accepted Christ. I believe in Jesus. So we're all good. Me and the Lord are good. We are all set. And so I don't really have to do any of that stuff. So that's what Satan is really trying to do. He's trying to get you indoctrinated with a kind of mental belief system where that it's all been done for you and you have no responsibilities at all. And then you can just take you a big dose of man-made religion, false religion, and go to your weekly traditional worship service and, you know, then told you been, that you're there and that you serve God because you attended church. You sat there on Sunday rather than you worship in spirit and truth seven days a week from a pure heart. So see, Satan has got his own doctrine, his own goals in mind. God's goal 
is that we will be saved and transformed into the image of Christ and be saved in the end because we were one of the few that entered by the narrow way. Satan's goal is to deceive us into believing that there's no responsibility, that God's done everything, and then we don't really have to seek God or study the word or know God or obey God or, or really turn from sin completely because all we had to do was just somehow have a mental belief in Jesus and accept Christ. So here's the thing. Sound doctrine always points you towards holiness. You know, if there's any doctrine that's not pointing you towards living a holy life, it's not from God. Sound doctrine always points you, the doctrine of God, which is sound doctrine, it always points you towards righteousness, living in a righteous way, you know, living a clean and holy life. It, it always gives you the fear of God because sound doctrine warns you and, and, and makes it clear to you that if you turn against God, if you rebel against God, if you disobey God willfully and practice sin, that God himself will cut you out. He'll cut you off. He'll cast you into the fire. He'll reject you. So the fear of God will sort of keep you from sin and keep you on the alert and keep you a wide awake. So sound doctrine always does that. It brings you the fear of the Lord. And it always brings you towards a place of loving God and loving your neighbor and, and being obedient. And it, and it gives you this, uh, this simple, this simplicity of devotion to Christ with a whole heart. It has to be with a whole heart. And so sound doctrine always instructs us to turn away from sin. If we stumble, we get up, we repent, we make it right, and we move on. We don't stay there. We don't wallow in that sin. And it always uh, instructs us to, to turn away from any kind of disobedience to God. It, you know, th there's all kinds of instruction in the scriptures how to live our life as a husband, as a wife, as children, as employees, as employers. You know, there's ways that we're supposed to live, and there's obedience that we have to that we have to uh, hold on to to be able to be pleasing to God and walk with him. And so sound doctrine always points you towards obedience. It turns you away from disobedience. And sound doctrine always turns you away from the flesh. You know, the angry tempers, jealousy, strife, bitterness, unforgiveness, you know, just being carnal. You know, the, the sound doctrine of God always turns you away from those things. And it always it always turns you away from... This is the big one. It turns you away from man-made, false, denominationalized American Christianity religion. Yeah, that's what I just said. It The sound doctrine will turn you away from it because the whole Americanized denominational world is, is riddled with unsound doctrine, false doctrine, false teachings, and, and also a false salvation confidence that you're going to heaven just because you belong to it. Or you've done a few things. I'm talking more about that as I go along. So false doctrine, on the other hand, always gives you an easy way out. It's the broad way to destruction. It's not the narrow way that, uh, you know, the narrow way that goes through the small gate, which is called the way of, 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 of suffering and difficulty and persecution and rejection and the cross and things like that, which is the way to life. The, the false doctrine of Satan always gives you some kind of easy believism. Oh, just pray the sinner's prayer. Just ask Jesus in your heart. Just accept Christ or something along those lines. And the false, do false doctrine, false doctrine always allows you to be unrighteous. You can, you know, you're just human. You know, we understand God understands. So you can just do, it's okay. I mean, if you do, you know, you know, it's, it's all right with God. Just as long as you accept Christ, they say. 
False doctrine always takes away the fear of God from you because it gives you a false confidence that God's going to be okay with you no matter what you do. So you don't have the fear of God. You don't have any reason to have the fear of God. And false doctrine always makes you comfortable with your sin. You get used to doing what you do. You know, uh, that's why that in the, in the denominational world right now, that something like 70% of all the men who attend church are in pornography. How many of them are in adultery? I don't know. It's a tremendous number. 30-something percent of the women, 35%, I believe it is now, are in pornography on a regular basis, church-going women. And uh, they're also in adultery. And fornication is all through the whole church. Young people, they're not married. They're having sex, and they go to church on Sunday, and everything's okay. And then now now the, the information just came out that the pastors in America, that 50-something percent of our pastors are routinely involved in pornography. So, you know, after all, see what's going on. There's nobody that's really too concerned about this kind of stuff. And so, you know, the church is also riddled with divorce and there's just about anything you can think of. And I've covered this on other podcasts about the sin in the church today. And all the it's no different, really, than the rest of the world. So that tells me there's a false sense of security. Somehow, the church world, and it may be you, you may be a part of it, thinks is going to heaven no matter what it does. So false doctrine always calls you to feel comfortable in your sin. And it and it doesn't it doesn't require you to take up your cross. It doesn't require you to bear fruit or to endure to the end. The false doctrine just says Jesus done it all for you. So you don't have any real responsibility other than maybe just to pay your tithes. Oh don't forget now you got to pay your tithes. Pay, preacher won't let you buy with that. Pay your tithes and, and attend church. So it's all about the numbers. It's all about the money. It's not about your soul. It's not about what pleases God. So false doctrine t- takes away virtually all the fear of God and all responsibility for you to walk holy before God. So in a nutshell, Satan has developed doctrines where whereby men can believe that they are safe and secure and saved without meeting any of the requirements of God, or without meeting most of the requirements of God. How clever of Satan. How clever. To get people to mentally accept Christ, to believe in Jesus, just to believe that he exists or that he died on a cross or something like that, just to believe that, which it is true, and it's good to believe that, but it takes more than just believing that, and get them to pray a sinner's prayer, which I've covered that on another podcast, how bogus the sinner's prayer is, how unscriptural it is, how ungodly it is, how it doesn't save you. And so I would encourage you, if you have any questions about that, go back and find that podcast. Also, how clever of Satan to get you just to ask Jesus in your heart. I mean, it's like, that's all there is to it. Just ask him in. You know, what if he's not coming in? What if he don't want to come in? What if he... You know, and, and then it's, and then Satan says, and the false doctrine says, and the false pastor says, well, all you've got to do is accept Christ. And they say that without even bringing up repentance of your sins or turning God with a whole heart or giving up your old life or taking up your cross. They leave all that out, you know, just accept Christ. Well, what about him accepting you and me? What about us being acceptable to him? Because he has to accept us. It's not so much that we have to accept him as it is he has to accept us. See, see, this is kind of backwards. See, it's, it's again, part of the false doctrine. Well, if you just mentally say, oh, yeah, I accept Christ. And they say, oh, well, then you're saved. Oh, you're going to heaven. That's wonderful, brother. Now you're a brother in Christ because you just accepted Christ and now you're saved. What a lie. 
That's not what the scripture says. There's nobody in the Bible was ever told to do anything like that. So you see how clever Satan is that he's able to trick men and, you know, confuse reality. And they call that reality now. And that is so deceptive. So anyway, then after you've quote unquote accepted Christ, and then you've asked Jesus into your heart. It's another thing they say, just ask Jesus in your heart. Like, okay. Then they say, now you're a member of the church. So come to church and join our worship service. And so you go to church and you sing a few songs. You have worship service. You go to Sunday school. You participate in some programs. Maybe you join the choir or maybe you get involved in the prison ministry or something. And so you feel really, uh, you feel like a real Christian now just because you're doing some of these things and because they told you you're saved. And yet in your own personal life, you still are selfish. You're still carnal. You really haven't had a new heart. You haven't really repented of all your sins. You've kept a few of your personal pet sins that you really want to keep. And then you're, you know, you're under the idea, you're under the false idea. You're under the confused reality that you're now saved and that you're going to heaven and that you belong to Christ. And of course, when you die, when you do die, you go to the funeral home and the preacher shows up and he brags about, well, old, uh, Billy Bob here, Johnny Bob, Susie Q or whoever, that she's a faithful Christian while she was at church every Sunday for 15 years. And I remember the day she, uh, she prayed the sinner's prayer. So I know she's in heaven today. And so that's, that's the standard that they use to describe a Christian, which is not the standard of God. So how shrewd of Satan. What a way that he can destroy millions and millions of people. And see, there's never a case like this found in the Bible where anybody was saved like this by these kind of methods or, or described to be saved because of these kinds of things. There's nothing like that in the Bible. There's no description like that. There's no cases like that. So here we are. Satan has been able to trick the whole religious world into believing that they belong to God because of these tricks that he's come up with, these little ideas, these little slogans, these little false concepts of how to be saved. So this is the goal of the doctrine of Satan. It is to trick you into believing you're going to heaven when in fact you're on the road to hell. That's the goal of Satan. And you know what? God allows this to happen. You think, why don't God stop this? Well, because he's testing you and me. See, what, whether we're going to seek him. He says, seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Ask and you'll receive. So it's our responsibility to seek God. You know, it's our responsibility to find out if it's true because there's plenty of traps out there. You know, it said, Jesus even said, if the blind lead the blind, they all go to the pit. So if the blind, the false teachers, the false church system is leading you and it's blind to the truths of God, the doctrine of God, guess what? If you're following it, you're going to be blind too and you're all going to go to the pit. You're going to go to the pit with your pastor. So I want to go back to where the first false doctrine actually even occurred in the Bible. I want to read it to you. It's in Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse starting in verse 15. This is the first case that we have of the false doctrine of Satan appearing in the Bible. In Genesis 2:15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, there's the doctrine of God. If you eat from the tree 
of knowledge of good and evil. In other words, if you rebel against my commandments, if you rebel against my will, you surely shall die. Now you got to consider that the, that the situation that Adam and Eve were in is they were in a perfect place of peace with God. God was walking with them. You could say, well, they were saved and they could have gone on like that indefinitely had they not sinned because there was no death. There was no, there was no, no law. There was no, every, the only law was don't eat the tree. Don't eat off this tree. And all they had to do was obey that one simple command and they would have been able to stay there indefinitely and they would have been secure in their salvation, as you might say. But so there it is, the doctrine of God, the true doctrine. God says, if you rebel against him, that you surely shall die. You got to keep this in mind. That's the doctrine of God. If somebody's coming along and says to you, if you're in sin, you're going to die, believe it because that's from God. The false doctrine says, oh, no, brother, you know, we all sin. We're just all poor sinners saved by grace. You know, God understands nobody's perfect, blah, blah, blah. See, that's Satan talking right there. That's, that's Satan talking through the false pastor, the false teacher, your false brethren, your false church, your false doctrine. That's Satan talking through them. And by the way, the death, and God said, you sh in the day you eat from the tree, you surely shall die. And God's not a liar. So the, they, you know, they did go ahead and eat from the tree. You remember that Eve and ate it and then she gave it to Adam and he ate it and, blow, and, and they both died. They both died that day, but they didn't die physically. They died in their soul. Their soul died. They died spiritually. Now in Genesis 3, 1, here's how it all happened. This is an account of what happened. Now the serpent, Genesis 3 verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed has God said. Now he's, see what Satan does, he raises the question, has God really said, you shall not eat from any of the tree of the garden? I mean, he's asking her about this. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the tree, from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, now here's the false doctrine. You surely shall not die. I know you're in the garden. I know you have a relationship with God. I know you're at peace and safety here. I know you're secure in your salvation, but you're really not going to die. You can go ahead and eat it and you're not going to die. You can go ahead and commit that adultery. You're not going to die. You can go ahead and be in pornography. You're not going to die. You can go ahead and lie, cheat, and steal. You're not going to die. You can go ahead and be jealous and unforgiving and hate and be angry and mistreat your family and your wife or cheat in business, but you're not going to die. That's what Satan says. So now we see the doctrine of Satan. We saw the doctrine of God. You surely shall die if you sin. The doctrine of Satan is you surely shall not die if you sin. Satan's a liar. And he says that you can rebel against the word of God and still live and that you surely would not die. Isn't this a type of eternal security? In other words, your, your ticket is punched to heaven. Your salvation is secure in Christ and all that. The kind of thing that goes on today that's almost everywhere in the denominational world. In fact, everywhere today in the denomination, in the American church, we have the false doctrine of, the false doctrine is there. I don't care which denomination. I don't care if it's the Catholic, the Baptist, the Pentecostal, the Spirit-filled, the non-Spirit-filled, the independent, the non-denomination. I don't care what it is. That doctrine has permeated all of American Christianity. And that doctrine says you can willfully sin 
and you surely shall not die. That's what it says. You know, just to get kind of graphic with you, you know, the Baptists, as well as several other denominations now, they call that particular concept, they call it once saved, always saved. You've probably heard that term before. I'm sure you have. And they're saying in their once saved, always saved doctrine or philosophy, which is from Satan, they say that no matter what you do after you're saved, no matter what it is, you will go to heaven once you've accepted Christ. That's what they say. That's not biblical, but that's what they say. And some of the Presbyterians, they have another take on that. They describe it as the elect who will be saved no matter what they do since they were chosen beforehand by God. In other words, it wasn't really their choice. God chose them. They were elected by God, and so they're going to heaven anyway. They're going to heaven no matter what they do. And the rest of us are just going to perish. So, but the Catholics, as well as some other denominations, they trust in their sprinkling and their confirmation, uh, you know, by the priest and they try to assure salvation. Again, it's regardless of their moral practices in life. If you, you just have to be confirmed by the priest, you have to be sprinkled on with some water, confirmed by the priest or whatever they do. I don't even know. It don't even make any sense. It's not biblical, of course. I was in one, one of those meetings one time where this young man went forward and said he wanted to be saved. And this, this guy wearing a robe, it was in a Presbyterian church. He came out and took a little, a little bowl of water and started sprinkling it on the guy's head and rubbing it in his hair and told him he was saved. I'm going, what? Where do you get this kind of stuff? You know, it's again, it, the, the poor young man, I wanted just to scream. That poor young man then was told that he was going to heaven because somebody sprinkled some water in his hair. Some guy wearing a robe. Why do they wear the robes anyway? That's another, that's another thing. I'll, I'll get onto that another time. So anyway, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics who claim to be spirit-filled, you know, they, they, they're they notch above everybody else because we're spirit-filled. They brag about we're a spirit, spirit-filled church. Well, hey, guess what, spirit-filled church? You're no more holy than the rest of us because you have just as much pornography, just as much moral failure, just as much adultery, just as much of, of lying, cheating, stealing, whatever. It's the same. I've been in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches. I've been a part of it. I've seen it. I've seen the moral failures of some of your leaders and some of the of the scams they pulled on false healings and stuff and crookedness and deception and this taking of money. Yeah, you're no better than anybody else. But here's what you do. Here's what you do in, in your movement. You say that because somebody has a gift of the Spirit, especially speaking in tongues, that their salvation is assumed because now you say they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So, well, it, you don't look at their fruit. I've been in the situation where I've watched this before. You've got people in your church that are living in sin, but on Sunday they speak in tongues. Well, just assume then that they're going to heaven because they speak in tongues. See, this is the kind of mentality. It's all through the whole church. Everybody's got their own kind of way of using this doctrine, so to speak. So the doctrine of Satan, the one that says you surely shall not die if you sin, has mutated into many various forms that are also often very subtle. Things like, you know, just assuming because you belong to a church that you're saved and going to heaven or assuming just because you're attending church. I know of people personally in the business world who live a very immoral life, but attend church on Sunday. 
And apparently they are assuming because they attend church that what Satan said is true, that they surely shall not die even though they live an immoral life. But apparently they think that attending church is all that God is asking of them. Okay, there's another way that the doctrine has mutated. They may, not, they may even say with their mouth, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. But by their actions, they do believe in it. By their actions, they don't believe they're going to die because they live an immoral life. So this doctrine has mutated in many various forms that are also subtle, like I said, such as praying the sinner's prayer. I mean, everybody now is saying, well, if you want to be saved, pray the sinner's prayer. Well, I've got a, a podcast on exposing how that started in, you know, some time ago, if you want, want to go look it up and listen to it, but it's bogus. That's not how we're saved, not by praying a sinner's prayer. There's no, no such thing ever happened in the Bible. But today people are saying, well, the preacher says, oh, you prayed the sinner's prayer. Oh, you're okay. I know of a case right now where a man recently died who was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he knew he was going to die and he really didn't live for God. He really didn't have, he didn't have the Holy Spirit. He didn't live right before God, but you know what? He called his pastor at some church he'd attended at some point in the past. And the pastor talked to him on the phone, didn't even go see him, and just said, are you all right with the Lord? He says, yeah. Well, do you believe in Christ? Yeah, I believe in Christ. Well, then you're saved. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And so at the funeral, I understand I wasn't there, but somebody I know was said, well, the pastor said, well, he's okay. He's in heaven because he prayed the sinner's prayer one time a long time ago, and he accepted Christ and he, he believes in Christ. Well, the devils believe and tremble too, but they're not saved. So this is how this is mutated into so many different forms. And somehow people all over the place, I, I, I talk to I've been talking to people for 40 years about this. People believe just because they have a mental belief in Christ. Yes, I believe in God. They think they're okay. They think they're going to heaven. They think they're going to be okay because they believe in the existence of God or the existence of Christ, or the fact that Jesus walked on the earth, the fact that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Those facts will not save you. Knowing those facts or believing those facts will not save you. It's repentance from sin and a transformed life and, a, and a obedience to God and a faithfulness to the end that saves you. It's Christ that saves you through the promises of God when you comply with God. So, Today, we have the doctrine of Satan that teaches you a lie that you can be saved without repentance from sin. And you know what? Don't trust in the preacher. Don't trust in the preacher that told you you're saved. Don't trust in the preacher that told you you're going to heaven. There are so many ways that Satan has made people feel safe and secure that it's, it's impossible for me to cover them all today. And besides, I don't even know them all. I know a bunch of them, but I certainly don't know them all. Satan is so tricky, and, he, and this, is, this thing is continually mutating in a various different forms. This doctrine of Satan that you surely shall not die if you sin has mutated and is continually mutating into so many different forms and variations that I, I don't know if anybody knows all the different ways that Satan is tricking everybody with this. So I will say this. In 2 Timothy, verse, starting in verse 4, here's the warning for us today. For the time will come... When they, talking about the people, will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away, turn away their ears from the truth 
and will turn aside to myths. And you know, isn't that what's going on today? Isn't that what the doctrine of Satan does? Doesn't it tickle yours? Isn't it tickling of the ears? Isn't it a very comforting thing to know or to believe, to think you know that you don't have to really seek God. You don't have to really really repent of all your sins. You don't have to really live a holy life. You don't have to really overcome anything. Jesus did all that for you. Isn't that tickling? Of, isn't that comforting? You know, that you're you're going to heaven because you just asked Christ in your heart, but you didn't really change. Or you you in, you invited Jesus to come in and to live in you, but you you know, to, but you accepted him, but you don't know if he but you didn't really know if he accepted you. Isn't that comforting, though, for you to think that that was true? Isn't it comforting for you to think that all you had to do was pray the sinner's prayer and now your ticket's punched to heaven? Isn't that comforting to, to hear that once you're saved, you're always saved and nothing you could ever do would take that away, that your salvation is guaranteed? Isn't that an ear-tickling thing when it's not biblical at all? It's a lie. So, are you going on your tickling of your ear? by false teachers and false doctrine, the false doctrine of Satan? Do you feel safe and secure because you've received some form of the doctrine of Satan? The lie that tells you that you can willfully sin and you surely shall not die? Let me ask you something. If you're going to buy a used car, wouldn't you at least look at it and road test it and possibly have a pre-buy inspection done on it before you bought it because you want to at least know where it came from, how it's been serviced, if it's in good shape, if the transmission's good or bad, the engine's knocking or good. You want to know before you buy it, right? I mean, who just buys a used car and don't even look at it? Don't even test it out. Who does that? I don't know anybody that does that. There probably is somebody that does it, but I don't know. You wouldn't. I wouldn't probably, right? Hey, what if you're going to buy a house? Wouldn't you have that home inspected? I mean, make sure it's not eat up with termites or it has a problem with the foundation or water leaking under the house or bad plumbing or a hole in the roof or whatever. You wouldn't just go pay a couple hundred thousand or four or five hundred thousand dollars or even, even any amount of money for a house that you didn't have inspected, would you? Or would you go buy a piece of land and not even know if it's in a swamp or something before you checked it out. I mean, you wouldn't just throw your money into that without checking it out, would you? Of course you wouldn't. You would have it inspected. You'd do your due diligence. You'd make sure everything was good. And besides, let's say you went to the doctor and the doctor told you some really bad news and said you're going to have to have some, quote, major surgery. But you didn't think it was that bad. And you're kind of questioning the doctor. I mean, this is your life. This is your health. This is your body, right? What would you do? You'd go to get a second opinion. You'd make sure this doctor wasn't wrong because, you know, sometimes doctors are wrong. I mean, this, this is what you would do, right? You see, most people, most logical, sensible people are careful about trusting their money and their health with just what man tells them. Yet they will trust, you know, like used car salesmen, doctors, you know, things like that, uh, real estate brokers. I mean, they want to sell you something, right? So, you know, I mean, I've heard of doctors that did unnecessary surgery just because they needed forty or $50,000 because they were in trouble with their taxes. I mean, you know, when you do heart surgery, a doctor gets about fifty grand. The hospital gets about fifty grand. I mean, just for heart surgery or, 
or maybe other kinds of surgery. You know, just almost any kind of surgery is twenty or thirty thousand dollars anymore. You can see a doctor can make twenty or thirty thousand dollars in a couple of hours. You know, and and you know you'll survive it, and he makes the money, and he paid his bills. You know, he made his Mercedes payment or something. Who knows? So you're you know, do you, you don't really you and I don't really trust completely just what man tells us on these matters of health and our money and property and cars and things like that, do we? I mean, you know, we don't do that. Used car salesman come up and tells you, oh, it's a good car. It's a great car. It's a great buy. And you got to have a little bit more to go on than just that, right? What about what the pastor tells you? What about what the Bible teacher tells you? What about the prophet or the priest? Or what, what, what about when, what they tell you? Are you just going to trust your eternal soul to that? So most people are careful about trusting their money and their health of what a man says, yet most people, this is what's still said, most people, especially here in America, will trust, they will entrust their eternal soul to a man called pastor or reverend or doctor or priest or prophet or Bible teacher or whatever. They'll trust what he says. And they'll gamble their soul away based on what he told them without doing their own due diligence, without doing their own research, without studying the Bible for themselves, without going to God in prayer, without seeking God for answers. They'll trust what the man says without doing any of that as to whether and find out whether the doctrine that he gave them is a doctrine of God or a doctrine of the devil. That's why we're in the shape we are today. That's why people are lost. That's why people are deceived because they didn't have the love of the truth so as to be saved. The love of the truth would drive you to seek out, to search out, to find out what's true and what's false. So virtually every denomination today is teaching some form of the doctrine of Satan. That is the form that says, you surely shall not die if you willfully practice sin, if you willfully do what's wrong, if you willfully rebel against God, you'll not die. You'll still go to heaven. So the question for you today is this. What are you trusting your eternal soul to? Are you trusting it to what a man told you? What a used car salesman named pastor told you? Are you trusting it to what God says? You know, Jesus has promises for those who are faithful to him, to those who are repentant of their sins, for those who give up their life and follow him with a whole heart, he has wonderful promises and there is security for a believer, but that security is conditional. It is not unconditional as the false church teaches. So if you bear fruit for God, if you obey God, if you repent of sin, if you endure to the end like Jesus promised, you will be saved. And it's a wonderful thing to hope in. But you must comply to the will of God and the word of God. And you must be obedient to God, faithful unto the end. So what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in what man has told you? Are you trusting in a feeling? Are you trusting in a slogan? Are you trusting in something other than an intimate, passionate, devoted, sincere, wholehearted relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and all the things he promised for those who love him with all their heart? What are you trusting in? I hope that you're trusting in Jesus and not in what man has told you or the denominational world has told you. I also hope that you listen 
to another podcast next week of the great deception of American Christianity without Christ. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog, and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.